I was holding it in for like the last two minutes. I had to get it out, dude. I couldn't <laughs> hold it in anymore. I was going to have to get to the point where I'm like, Josh, can you please stop? That sounded like it was painful. It sounded it's like me- it hit I don't, I don't, fucking just the hardness of that. I don't know how you want to comprehend this statement, but it smells painful. <laughs> <laughs> I smell blood. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. It's one of those things where it's like you smell something really bad, and then you're like, oh, I got to hold my breath. So you go, and you just suck all the <laughs> shitty, painful air in. Yeah. Uh, poop particles. Hey, man, that's probably what they smell when they open those tombs. <laughs> and then yep, people maybe. started dropping like flies. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. Making my Christmas list, I got on Amazon, and because that's, I mean, that's where I get ninety nine percent of my shopping done, basically. And I was looking for Godzilla movies, which I've done for plenty of years because I want the whole collection. Yeah, I don't care what series it is, like the Toho Master series or collection or whatever it is. I just want to have at least one physical copy of all the movies. And on there, there are some that are like, "Oh yeah, here you go for like four hundred and fifteen dollars." I'm just like. No, it's not happening. There's, I, I did see, I forget what company's doing it, but they're starting a new Godzilla comic series. Really? Yep. I might have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Well, I came across this website called moviebuffsforever.com, and it looks horrible. I mean, <laughs> how the website is designed is, is pitiful. And what is it, movie buffs? Movie buffs forever. And if anyone from that website is listening to me <laughs> right now... Um, I do not apologize. Movie buffs forever. I am literally typing this in. Do it. It's it's not like bad. Classic movies on DVD. It's not bad, oh. but it's just yeah. It's so like '90s or early 2000s. Like it's just ugh. However, that the the fucking curtain graphics are very digitalized. Yes, they are. But they do have all the movies I'm looking for, and they're like 13 bucks, like your normal DVD. It surprises me because, like, it in the images though, it never shows like the actual case of the movie or anything. Yeah, it just shows the front of it, like if it's just a still image, and then like random clips throughout the whole movie. Hmm. But I'm like, it says the DVD, it says it's copyrighted and whatnot, like it looks legit and legal and 100 correct. And I'm like, maybe I should just go for it. I like how right now they're uh, promoting a Smoky Mountain Christmas with Dolly Parton. Yeah. You, you <laughs> like the little snowflakes that kind of like come down like one? I'm like, wow. <laughs> yep. They're like, and we're done. Fucking puts me in the mood. Yeah. Are we recording? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, uh, hello. Hi. <laughs> what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Let Sector's Cut. Yes. My name's Josh. Who are you? My name is Matthew. Oh, hi, Matthew. It's actually Matthew. Matthew? I'm not Wyatt. I'm not Glenn. I'm not Voight like I've been in the past. No, those aliases, and the, those are all behind me. When the fuck were you Wyatt? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, between this and the other podcast, it could have been one of those episodes for all I know. I don't remember you ever being Wyatt. (laughs) What? All right, backtrack. (laughs) Hi, I'm Wyatt. (laughs) Okay. Is that better? No, I don't like it. (sighs) So today, we are talking about, well, we are continuing our Universal Mm -hmm. Monster series. We are talking about The Mummy. Which I will say, it was weak. It was weak. Um, amongst the uh, Universal Monster series, but I think it had a more complete story than Frankenstein. Really? I, I will give it that, yeah. Okay. Um, but it was not the mummy I was expecting. I thought maybe he was going to stay in his bandages throughout the whole movie and terrorize yeah. people in Egypt, maybe, and not become Arbeth Day, or whatever. What's his name? Ardith Bay. Ardith Bay. Which? My dyslexic. If you remember, um, the, oh, fuck. Wow, Brandon uh, oh. Fr- Brandon Fraser, uh, mummy yeah. films. Yeah, the the Magi, the leader of the Magi. His yeah. na- his name's Ardeth Bay. No, that's kind of a nice little nod. Oh, dude, that's so cool. Because obviously, you also had Emotep in yep. the uh, uh, Brandon Fraser movies. But yeah, I thought that 
them bringing like the name Artith Bay in. It was kind of a nice little touch. I had no, well, I mean, of course, I've never seen the original Mummy, so I had no yeah. idea about that, but that's pretty cool. I like yeah. that. And I mean, obviously, both are done by Universal, and the Brennan Fraser ones are kind of a remake, kind of loosely. Of this one? Kind of loosely, yeah. Oh, really? Really? Huh. How about that? I had no idea. So you didn't mind it? I actually didn't. Okay. Um, I thought... Uh, it's a very hit or miss film I found with people. I mean, I know a lot of people that hate it, a lot of people that like it. And it's just kind of... For me, it's... Obviously, it's one of the weaker films, but I yeah. mean, it's still enjoyable to watch i thought the acting was see it's hard i, I want to say the i think the acting was fairly well well done uh but like and dracula you know has certain characteristics yeah. that it has to be portrayed the mummy really no just walk slowly and just kind of have a blank stare it's simple and you can tell too that this movie like as the movies go on you can tell that we're getting further and further along like into the like sound films yeah because you can tell that they're starting to understand it get better with it you also like swan lake coming in again i do <laughs> i i called that out i was like hey that's the same fucking song <laughs> I was, no yeah i got that yeah i was listening to a, a playlist when or like a just an instrumental playlist when i was typing up this uh outline yeah and all of a sudden here comes swan lake i'm uh -huh. like huh fuck <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it, though. I actually did. Okay. I was surprised because I thought, oh, you know, I hear this one's kind of a poo-poo. Well, maybe I set such a low bar for you, it made it enjoyable. Maybe. 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 But I I still think Phantom of the Opera is my favorite. I'll go ahead and say that now right. in the first few minutes of this podcast. <laughs> All right. I'm surprised, honestly. I am, too, honestly. Just because I know you haven't ever, like, was the Phantom the first silent film you watched? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes me kind of excited for when we uh, we do our Nosferatu episode. Ooh. Now, see, I don't know what... I have a fear that the Wolfman... First, the Wolfman, and then second, Creature from the Black Lagoon, are going to top Phantom of the Opera for me. Really? I just have a feeling. Okay. I, I, re I really like werewolves. Okay. I really like werewolves. All right. Uh, social media. Okay. Let's see if I can do this. <laughs> Need some, like, mantra, like my chi, like, oh, yeah. Need a full flow through my body. Mm. Okay, Facebook. <laughs> Let's see if I got this. That I sector cut. Yep. Okay, and then Twitter is TDC TDC Pot Official. <laughs> ah, yep. See, I didn't have enough chi in me. Um, you need more cheese. I, ooh, ooh <laughs> I can get behind that though. Um, Instagram. That I sectors cut. Yep. Then another is a TikTok. Yeah, we're trying to be fucking hip and cool. We with the are. <laughs> I remember. Not to get too far off track, but I remember when Black Dahlia Murder decided to actually make a Twitter, uh -huh. and then they posted like on Facebook, like, "Hey, you know, come see us on on Twitter, and we'll share, you know, band updates and yada, like they would normally do." Yeah. And so many of the comments were negative, like, "Oh my god, you guys are going to tweet," and they're just like, "Yeah, we are, you fucking idiot." I mean, yeah, what's I mean, the goddamn problem? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, trying to follow social media, you have to go to outreaches. I mean, I enjoy TikTok for the most part. Uh, but yeah, we are on TikTok. Uh, it's pretty much mostly going to be me yeah, making I, the videos. It's going to be a lot. It's just exposure. That's oh, yeah. all it is. A lot of the, like, I'm going to try to do like random movie facts. I'm also, I already have, there's one up right now, one video up, and it's pretty much just some underrated horror, like Christmas horror films that I know of. Uh, I might do more lists like that and shit like that. People seem to enjoy that. I used to do that on my account. So Go with it, man. Hey, fuck it. That that field is all yours. Yeah. Have the run with it. So if you want to know what I look like, go to TikTok. Uh, so yeah, TikTok is just that a sector's cut as well, correct? Yep. Um, yeah, said so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, if you want to hit us up on our Gmail, if you got any cool little movie trivial, you know, ideas popping around in your head, then email us at the dissectors cut podcast at gmail.com. If I hit this you fucking headbutt your fucking <laughs> mic. <laughs> to be fair, it was my hat, Bill, but yes. Oh, you should turn around like Ash Ketchum, dude. Dun, 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 dun. Nah, and then just right. throw something at me and knock me out and yell any Pokemon name you want. <laughs> Snorlax. There, oh, there you go. All right, man. So what do you have for us today on The Mummy? Oh, I got some good stuff. Death. Eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. In the name of Amun-Ra, the king of the gods. And of course, I couldn't help, but every time he said Amun-Ra, I thought of Mum-Ra from uh, 
uh, Thundercats. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was wondering where you were going with that. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to open up with the actual curse that is mentioned very early on in the film. Because, I mean, I feel like it's such a good curse. Yeah. That's the one that's written on the scroll? Yep. Yeah, the scroll of Thoth. Yes. Which I actually go into the history of later. Oh, well, good, because I know some of Thoth and Bast and all of them from, uh, shit, I don't know. I just find Egypt and oh, yeah. Egyptology pretty fascinating. I remember I had one of these. Oh, look, it's right here. Right here. <laughs> Egyptology. <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm going to take a quick second here. Oh, God. Anybody out there that's around my age, well, I guess you don't have to be my age. No. But I know most people around my age of 27, going to be 28 here, uh, like these ology books, there was dragonology, wizardology, pyridology, uh, but there was one Egyptology, and it's by oh, it's like search for the for the tomb of Osiris. I don't know what this is by. I got it like in a fucking scholastic book fair. Some <laughs> on the back it says the pyramids reminded me of all I came to Egypt to discover: the dusty tombs, the ornate temples, the golden treasures, and the strange, unearthly mummies. But I have also come to find something more. Emily Sands, 1926. I don't think that's real, but I don't know. I don't know who the fuck made this book. I thought it'd be cool, but yeah, I don't know. It's got neat shit in it. I might post it. Oh, Candlewick Press, Cambridge, Massachusetts. There you go. There you go. Uh, but I don't know. I just find the book fucking fascinating. I hope other people out there are listening and go, oh my God, I know those books because they're cute. Because they're cute. <laughs> so unless you've lived with your head in the sand, you've most likely heard about the mummy's curse or uh-huh. curse of the pharaohs. Head in the sand. Oh, okay. I like it, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. These curses were said to be laid upon anyone, thief or archaeologist alike, that disturbed the mummy of any ancient Egyptian. Ancient Egyptian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know how to speak. There you go. Nowadays, science has proven these curses to be nothing more than actual bacteria or even forms of radiation that once exposed to humans after being undisturbed for centuries, cause major illness or even death. I know plenty of archaeologists that have discovered tombs that have gone that way. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Because the air, I mean, the air is filled with bacteria from the dead body. Yeah. So, I mean, at least well, yeah, sometimes. Like when bodies like decompose and everything, they have this form of, like, I mean, you release gases and the bacteria and all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. There's so much, like, just pollutant. Very, very poo-poo air. Yeah, actually. <laughs> Many stories of these alleged curses became popular after the tomb of... God, I always fuck his name up no matter how many times I hear it. Oh, God. Tutankhamun. All right. You got it. There you go, Look buddy. Look at you. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Tutankhamun. Yeah, see? Obvi- yeah. Dookie. <laughs> yeah. Dookie. Obviously, King Tut, for those that... Toot-toot. I mean, if you know the history. Just call him King Tutut. King King Tutut. <laughs> yeah. So, King Tut's tomb was opened in February in 1923, just three months after its discovery. The deaths of a few members of Howard Carter's team that opened the tomb are what caused the stirrup of these alleged tales. Ooh, man, it's that's not that far. Like, no, it's really not. Like, years ago. Yeah, when you think about it, it's really not that far, like that long ago. Now, basically, everyone, I just want to say that was discussed in this. They, like they say Osiris and they say mm-hmm. um, Anubis. Of course, they're like Anubis. Yeah. And um, oh God, they say someone else's name weird or like the occult. Like the first wor- the first mentioning of that word is like occult. I'm oh like, yeah. Who the hell calls it occult? Like I don't know if it's just like the pronunciation of like at the time or what, but yeah. but all all the people, all the figures that they named in Egypt mythology and such like that, um even uh uh priestess and and such. I knew them all except the the girl he's trying to get. Amun I can't remember the fucking name. Um, but I've never heard of that one. Anaxa Namun or something like that. Oh god, I don't know to look it up. But um so from like what I remember seeing is like she wasn't actually um like a wife. I think she she was like just she was like an actual care like a figure. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember exactly what she was. Like what position she held. Yeah, you know, I can't in the hierarchy or so. Remember. Okay. An account reported by the New York Times in December of 1922 tells of a canary kept by Howard Carter at his home had been attacked and eaten by a cobra. This was important due to the fact that the mask of King Tut's tomb had a prominent cobra upon its head. And this is like one of the first instances where people were like, the cobra has, you know, attacked. What a weird coincidence. Yeah. No, actually, the, the snake on his crown is, is, is like in honor of the serpent goddess of Wajet. And Wajet basically was just like this, um, seen as this like protector of lower Egypt, upper Egypt, even the unification when it just became Egypt. She protected, you know, Egypt. She protected the kings and, and women of, of childbirth as, as well. 
and the um, combination of the snake on the crown with like the sun disc, like you said, that her and um, Ra were kind of like closely associated, if you will. Um, that's called a uraeus. So when you actually you say go to a museum and you see this crown with a snake on it and it looks you know the way that it does, that's actually called a uraeus. Like I said, I know a little bit about Egypt mythology. I really find it fascinating. And, you know, like I said, what a coincidence about the the cobra killing that bird because, you know, the cobra is like Wajed, who is a protector of people, even King Tut. And uh, it's almost like she's coming back to uh, start picking off one by one anything that's associated with who had disturbed him. Mm, mm. Yeah. And Crazy. I, I, I think it was Howard Carter. He put in a journal that he had spotted a jackal near his home. It's jackal. It's and jackal. A, it's jackal. <laughs> and a jackal hadn't been seen in like years or even decades i think at the time of like when i like if i remember uh his journal entry but there was a jackal statue because obviously you know anubis like was always represented as kind of like the jackal or whatever but there was a jackal that was apparently outside of king tut's tomb protecting it so that also just fueled the fire fuck the universe is connected, man. We are all just one big entity, all right? I'm going to call it right now. We're like a hive mind almost. <laughs> Other prominent deaths that followed the seal of King Tut's tomb being broken was that of George Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon. <laughs> Carnarvon! Carnarvon. Who financed much of the excavation. He died on April 5th of 1923 due to an infected mosquito bite. George J. Wow. Goud, the first who visited the tomb, died in May of 1923 of a fever after his trip. A.C. Mace, one of the members of the excavation team, died of arsenic poisoning. And Captain Dahan Richard Bethel, who acted as Carter's secretary, was found smothered while in a bed at a Mayfair club. Smothered? Yeah. Like by somebody else? Yeah, like he was found smothered in like his he, sleep. Like, like homicide, somebody, he was like, Yeah, like somebody smothered, smothered him with a pillow. So, like, all of these people were involved with the opening, and that's why so many, like, you know, the stories of the curses became so popular. You because, been, I mean, you got to think, you know, murder, well, technically two murders if, you know, arsenic yeah. poisoning. And then um, the one, the infected mosquito bite, I remember hearing, or I was reading the story about it. He was apparently, he got the mosquito bite, and he was shaving, and when he was shaving it, Cut the mosquito yeah. bite and it caused oh blood. God like, caused the uh, blood poisoning, which is Jesus fucking terrifying. Right, the uh, we are so fragile; it's unreal. But it would be funny, not really funny, but would be even a coincidence on the guy that was smothered if the pillow was made from like Egyptian cloth. Yeah, uh, uh, uh. but I felt it was important to include like a lot of these deaths that involved. Because um, I mean, if it wasn't for these deaths, the curse of the mummy wouldn't became popular essentially. Yeah, I mean, it would have just I, I been agree. like a known idea, but it was these deaths in King Tut's tomb that caused, you know, the up, uptick in stories. Huh. Uh, I will say that Helen, um, Princess Anxunaman. Okay. I, I do not know if that is a correct, a, a real figure, but I feel like since every other one of them is, she's got to be. But I, I don't know. Go ahead, Josh. So after the success of Frankenstein, Universal already had in their mind to create another monster role for Boris Karloff to play. It was alleged curses themselves and the deaths that followed the opening of King Tut's tomb that inspired Universal's producer Carl Emley Jr. to commission story editor Richard Scherer to find a novel to use as the basis of a, for the story involving a mummy. Scherer was unsuccessful in finding a story that really felt suitable for a movie. The plot that would end up being the mummy shares some similarities to Sherlock Holmes creator Conan Arthur Doyle's short story, The Ring of Thoth. Okay, so Aung Sunaman was correct. A, a real person. Um, not that it really means that much, and if anyone out there knows that she's real and I was wrong, uh, just stop laughing at me. But no, you remember in The uh, the Mummy, the very beginning, the woman that kills herself? Yeah. Before she, That's Aung Sunaman. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so just... I mean, obviously, the mummy has Emotab, so it's going to probably have her and other figures around that time. But uh, yeah, she was a consort of Tutankhamun. Ah, okay. Just saying, just saying, because I had no idea. I had no idea, no idea about that figure. Well, there you go. While researching and trying to find the perfect story for Lemley Jr., Sherry learned about Alessandro Cagliostro, an 18th century adventurer and self-styled magician who was heavily involved in the occult and associated with the royal courts of Europe at the time. 
He was known for dabbling in psychic healing, alchemy, and even scrying. You know what that sounds like, Joshua? The Count of St. Germain? The Count of St. Germain from the Farthest Reaches podcast, which (laughs) we host, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, we don't talk about him much, but Cagliostro is brought up as a charlatan. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the universe is one fucking entity, dude. I know you make it, you you hate the word, but it's a thing. Yep. Yep. God, help me. (laughs) With the help of American novelist Nina Wilcox Putnam, Sherry wrote a nine-page treatment titled simply Cagliostro. This story idea was about a 3,000-year-old magician who survived by injecting nitrates into his system and was set in San Francisco. Kent concept art for a promotional poster of this film idea was made and featured the image of a wide-eyed Karloff with the title Cagliostro the Great Imposter. Along the side, it has also described the film stating, He lives today, 3,000 years old, yet appearing 35. He preys on the souls of beautiful women. The world and the people in it are his toys. He has the power to create and destroy. Impossible? Unbelievable? Wait and see. Mm. Part of me really wishes this movie happened. Yeah, I kind of do too. For those unfamiliar with the process of writings for films, treatments act more like documents that present the story idea for your film. In these documents, you highlight the important information, character descriptions, and the story summary. By the time these ideas see the silver screen, they will see many, many changes. I believe it. Limley Jr. was pleased with the concept of Cagliostro and hired screenwriter John L. Bartleston to write the script. He had helped with contribution for the scripts of both Dracula and Frankenstein a year prior. Okay, so he was familiar with Bor- or Boris's work. Ex- absolutely. And, I mean, you know, the Limleys obviously trusted him to write a decent script. <laughs> now, one thing I found absolutely fascinating about Bartleston upon researching, was that he was a journalist for the New York world in his early 20s before working on films and was actually on hand during the opening of King Tut's sarcophagus. Really? This made him very knowledgeable with the unearthing of the tomb and the curse that followed it. So he was actually there talk as about, a reporter. Yeah, talk about first-hand experience. I read that and I was like, you know what? No wonder they were just like, yeah, how about you write the script for this? I'm sure they're sitting there going, <coughs> at the tomb like, man, this would be a great movie. Right? <laughs> <laughs> as, I don't know, fucking Timmy over there just dropped dead. Being present during one of the world's most well-known discoveries, his experience in, in Egypt and love for ancient history is what prompted him to move the story to Egypt. He would go on to changing the film's title and main character to Imhotep, naming him after the probable historical architect of Djoser's Step Pyramid. Oh, and Djoser's like the, the D-J-O-S-E-R, yeah. correct? Okay. Imhotep was also a high priest to the sun god Ra. Hell yeah. And obviously, if you guys have seen, as you we mentioned before. The Winged Dragon Raw, we've all seen it, dude. <laughs> the Brand, the Brandon Fraser films, Emotep is the main villain in those films. Well, at least the first two. And then they go to Japan in the third one? Dude. I don't know. I haven't seen that one. Oh, well, yeah, because the Terracotta Army is there. I think so, in Japan. So yeah, I think that is where they went. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Cher's original story for Cagliostro was that of revenge against all women who happened to resemble the main character's ex-lover that betrayed him. Which sounds kind of hmm. kind of dickish. Uh, kinda? Kind of. Okay, okay. <laughs> just, just kind of. Bartleston went on to change the idea of revenge to a more somewhat romantic idea. Instead of a rev- revenge, our main character now sets off to revive his past love by killing and mummifying her reincarnated self and resurrecting her Using the scroll of Thoth. Yeah. Me and Cassandra were trying to guess what it would say when he opened it. We, we had a whole bunch of things like, I don't know, a recipe for Campbell's chicken noodle soup. Maybe it just said like cunt real big or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we were wrong. Just a bunch of pictures. And obviously, as we know, this is pretty much the summary of the film that Universal gave us. The scroll of Thoth was invented for the story by Bartleston. Thoth was known as the wisest of the Egyptian gods who helped Isis bring her love, Osiris, back from the dead. It's believed that Thoth authored the Book of the Dead, which is likely the source of inspiration for the scroll of Thoth. Mm-hmm. And I will say, uh, last summer, I went to the uh, museum downtown. The Great Pyramids, yeah. God, I wish. But no, I went to the uh, museum downtown because they had a big Egyptian uh, 
oh, exhibit. Fuck. Yeah, exhibit. That's the word I was trying to find. And they actually have like a page from the Book of the Dead. Oh my God, it was so fucking cool. And that's where H.P. Lovecraft got uh, some of his inspiration for the Necronomicon. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was, I, I was just looking at it. I was like, oh my God, that's so metal. <laughs> fuck yeah, dude. That's awesome. Could you imagine how fragile that is? Oh, I God, I feel I feel like if you just picked it up, it would just crumble. Well, they even say like in a lot of the uh, like displays that you know no flash photography because I mean uh, it could totally damage it. God, I oh yeah, just like how the sun damages it too. Yeah. Oh exactly. yeah. Yeah. Cinematographer and more often than not director of Dracula, Carl Frund, was hired to direct, making this the first film in the United States he would direct. Because if you remember from Dracula stories, he would come in when. Uh, you know, Dracula's director, James Whale, would you're not James Whale. Um, I'm thinking Frankenstein. Oh fuck. Uh Todd Browning, sorry. Ah uh, yeah. Well, like when Browning. Todd, Todd Browning, he you know, dealing with alcoholism and you know, just yeah. oh, anger and okay. all that, he would storm off set. So Carl Frund, who was the cinematographer for uh Dracula, he would always step in as and he was more yeah. apparently people say that he directed more of the film than Browning did himself. But this is the first credited film for um, Frund. Okay, and not a not a bad uh, place to start on that. As cinematographer, Carl Frund is known as being an, an innovator. A cinematographer or director of photography is the chief over camera and lights crew and holds responsibility when it comes to making artistic directions for shots. Oh, wow. Some of Frund's innovations, which helped shape cinema and change the way movies were shot, was the unchained camera, which meant no longer was the camera held just on a tripod. He was also known for wearing the camera on his stomach and moving around for shots, which we see quite often now. Oh, okay. He would also put cameras on tracks to move across sets and even attach them to cranes. He would even go on to win an Academy Award in 1937 for cinematography. So yeah, that word you use, innovative? Yeah, I would say that describes it perfectly. Yeah, like literally, if you guys watch any behind the scenes of making a films now, you see all of that. Cameras on cranes, cameras on tracks, people wearing like the steady cams on their chest. Like you see all of that. And this is where it started. Pretty much, Carl Froon. Like not wow. not just on the mummy, but yeah. a lot of it started when he was in Germany filming. Dude, round of applause for him. Yep. Round of applause. Good job, Carl. He also went on to uh, work on the uh, I Love Lucy show, and apparently oh, wow. he was one of the f- first to innovate, like actually filming in front of a live audience. Because beforehand, it was just there would be like a live recording of the show seen on TV. Yeah, and that like being actually filmed in front of a live audience allowed reruns. Innovation runs through yep. his blood, man. He's good. Yeah, absolutely. He's good. I heard he. There are stories that he was kind of a dick, though. Uh, but Well, aren't we all, I guess? Yeah, kind of. I mean, if he did it in the right sense. Yeah. With Karloff already set to star in the film, Zita Johan was brought on to play Helen, also Anax and Moon. Yes, yes. Anax and Moon was named after the wife of Pharaoh T- King Tut. <laughs> I don't want to fucking say his last name because I want to butcher it. Matt, King, you toot, go. Toot, King Tutankhamun. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. My brain's just like, that's too many syllables. <laughs> Zita Johan actually believed in reincarnation, which made this the ideal role for her. Along with reincarnation, she also believed in the occult and the ability to talk to the dead, both practices appearing in the film. Sounds like my kind of woman. I know. As soon as I found that out about her, I was like, I like this woman. David Manners, who played Jonathan Harker in Dracula, would be cast as archaeologist Frank Wemple. Arthur Barron would play his father, Sir Joseph Wemple. Bramwell Fletcher, which, God, where did the name Bramwell go? Have you ever met somebody named Bramwell? No. (laughs) Absolutely not. And I never think I ever will. (laughs) Bramwell Fletcher was brought on to play Rolf Norton. And if you've been following our last couple episodes, you'll recognize our next name, Mr. Edward Van Sloan. Yep, who plays the exact same (laughs) character in every, well, each of those three films. Essentially, yeah. He was brought on to play Dr. Muller, the occultist. (laughs) Doctor and doctor and doctor. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. But he plays the role so well. He does. And uh, he's he's like one of the more convincing actors throughout the movies, too. It's like him playing the same type of role. And he literally acts the same. Like he, yeah. he's holding his hands and his head's a little bit tilted and his eyes are kind of squinted as he's talking to you, almost like he's condescending, but he's not. Yeah. Um, if you watch those movies back to back, I'd almost feel like they would be like a trilogy, like their own, like all three <laughs> of them are the same 
in the same universe just yeah. because of him. I could see it. If you take all the names out of it. Otherwise, it's almost it's like I have a really big problem with uh, the Conjuring series. What? Like, well, not so much a problem with them, but like, but like in my head, the Conjuring series and Insidious are like the same movies just because the, uh, fuck, I forget his name, but the one main guy that plays, uh, wow, names are just escaping my brain today. He, wait, wasn't? Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of a different movie. Uh, no, I know, I know what you're saying. I was about to say Ethan Hawke, but that was Sinister. Yeah, which is another good movie. Yeah. But yeah, like the main character that's both, the, the main guy that's both in, uh, Conjuring and Insidious, in my head, I just, I can't separate the two. So they're both about haunted places. Yeah, okay. So you're saying you don't think Edward Scissorhands and Pirates of the Caribbean are in the same universe? God, could you imagine that though? <laughs> no, <laughs> I literally could not. Man, now I'm like thinking of like every Johnny Depp role just in the same universe. Now you know what is in the same universe? Princess Diaries 1 and 2. <laughs> God damn it. I actually wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. God damn it. You got him. <laughs> you <laughs> go on the budget was set at one hundred and ninety six thousand dollars by universal that's not very much it wasn't well i mean it was yeah but... at the time it wasn't but was frankenstein more i think frankenstein was more did you say it was more i think it was i think it was okay and filming was set to begin in september of 1932 and, re- and scheduled for three weeks it said that throughout the film's production, tensions between actress Zita Johan and director Carl Fruin were very high. Apparently, Fruin tried to portray Johan as hard to work with to producers calling her temperamental. Three weeks is all it took for that movie. Yep. Three weeks. That's it. I mean, a lot of these movies, you know, they were shot very in like a very short amount of time, like, which I mean, is yeah. very impressive. I, I would, Especially I would when you it. think about like the movies today that take fucking years sometimes or even like six seven eight months yeah and it's funny because now we have all this technology and the process is longer but at this state of 2020 we're just well i don't say 2020 but this century if you will yeah um we're just trying to make technology to make it easier to make it quicker where 100 years ago it technically was quicker yeah just saying yep there was intended to be a lengthy and complicated scene that played very important roles to the plot that showed the reincarnated lives of Anox and Amun throughout history, including scenes with her in ancient Rome, the European Middle Ages, among Viking raiders, and even the old regime of France. However, these scenes were cut from the film from the final film due to time by Fruund. This was said to have upset many people on set, including Johan herself. Including Matthew. Yeah, after or I learned Wyatt. that, I was just like, what the fuck? I am salty. It would have been so cool. Because, I mean, yeah. we, get, we get that, like, you know, the kind of like throwback of like the reincarnation scene of like a little bit, but you get no kind of background. Who made this decision? Carl? Yeah. Well, when you said that he was a little bit of a dick, I can see why. <laughs> Just, well, yeah. And you'll find out later too, because like there are people credited in the credits that never appear in the film because those scenes are cut. But they left the credit in there? Yep. I'll talk well, about That's it. even more of a kind of a stab. Yep. Like, thanks for your hard work that we didn't use. <laughs> so during one of these scenes, Froon put Johan in an arena with lions, most likely for the ancient Rome scenes. Froon and the crew were protected by cages, while Johan only had the protection of the onset lion trainers. A highly dangerous scene that had absolutely no, no payoff in the end, which is a damn shame if you ask me. Oh yeah, that's like the killer whale trainers at SeaWorld, like, oh, yeah, this is fine, and they get eaten alive, and they die. Yeah, that I'm sure that would work out, really. Yeah, can you imagine? That's all he got? Whatever. Can you imagine how terrifying it would be to be on set with lions for a, a scene in a movie that never makes it into the movie? Yeah, and your only defense, your only, back to Yu-Gi-Oh, when you put your fucking card in defense, the only defense you have is a lion tamer. Yeah. Who, you don't know if he's a lion tamer. He could just say, I can say whatever I want. Yep. You know, I could walk into Kmart right now and be like, I'm an astronaut. People go, wow. You don't know what this fucking guy's capable of. There's no way. Man, what the fuck? People were wild back then. They didn't do anything. A number of actors, including Arnold Gray and Henry Victor, appear on the film's credits. However, they never make an appearance in the film, being part of scenes that had already been cut, which makes me believe that the film's credit had already been made before the film's final cut was finished. Yeah, yeah, all from Dick Froon. <laughs> like Frankenstein a year prior, makeup artist Jack P. Pierce would go on to create the look of the mummy. Jack took inspiration from images of Seti's first Seti the first mummy, though the final product would end up looking more like the mummy of Ramus the third. Huh. 
The first day of filming was spent shooting the beginning when the mummies first awake. Yeah. On this day, Pierce would begin the makeup process at 11 p.m. The makeup was a mix of cotton, collagen, and spirit gum to the face to create the extremely aged and decrepit face. It looked good. It really does. The linens wrapped around Karloff was treated with acid and burned in the oven to age them significantly. This process took until 7 p.m. Oh, it wasn't paper mache. No, it wasn't. He wasn't like a kindergarten school project. No. <laughs> Dunking him in that weird glue. Yeah, that weird like just pot of cum or whatever you want to call it. I think we may have had different art teachers. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was fucking lit, dude. Karloff finished his scenes around 2 p.m. and it would take another two hours to remove all of the makeup. While this Ooh. look would make it onto the poster in the very opening segments, this elaborate makeup has very little screen time. It's also said that so many layers of cotton were used that Karloff wouldn't be able to move any of his face muscles even to speak. Oh, wow. And, I mean, it's really true. Like, you, I, from what I read, like, they only had Karloff in this makeup for the scene with, you know, the mummy's eyes open. Because mm-hmm. I guess every other scene where he's standing there, I, I think it was a dummy. Well, yeah, it's like as soon as he started to move, that's when you didn't see him. Yeah. Like, like it showed him, like, from his chest up, and you see his arms start to move. And then the next scene you see with the mummy, and it would be, like, just his one hand. And then the next scene after that, I think, was, like, his leg disappearing. Yeah. I almost guarantee when they did that, he was probably crumbling, and it started to look shitty. It's like, well, we can't yeah, just we imagine can't do this anymore. doing that long of a makeup process just for... Oh, like two second scene. Yep. It works though. It fucking works. insane. And it does. And I mean, it looks so good. It makes it on the poster. And the mummy has probably one of my favorite universal monster posters. Oh yeah. What, yeah. What, what's it look like? I mean, you could just look it up. Okay. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, I think between the mummy and creature from the black lagoon are probably my two favorite like movie posters. Oh yeah. And I think it actually went through like one of like the original uh, one sheets, like which is like the film posters from like the theater. I think it went on auction and became one of the highest uh, praised uh, posters. The Mummy. Yep. Oh, dude, that's cool. Oh, yeah. How about that? That is pretty neat. Karloff went on to say years later that this makeup was the most uncomfortable he had ever worn. I believe it. It's honestly a shame you never see the Mummy walk or even standing in this makeup. It said scenes were filmed that at least showed Karloff walking out of the room instead of just at the very end, like we see. Yeah. Just this foot. His, you know, if you haven't seen the film, just imagine uh, the scene from Signs where the alien, all you see. In the like, corn stalk and the yep, foot all disappears. you see is the foot. That's essentially yep. all you see of the mummy walking out of the room. That is literally it. So the film released December 22nd, 1932, and it was met with mixed reviews in the States, but in the United Kingdom, it was seen as a box office success. Overall, the film grossed roughly $370,000. So while this film did set the template for the mummy movies that followed, there were critics that found the movie to be, or to make unjustified distinctions of Eastern cultures, especially when trying to show that they were more primitive and superstition, or superstitious than Western cultures. Hmm. Unlike most of Universal's other monsters, this film didn't have any sequels tied to it. The films that followed in the 40s, such as The Mummy's Hand, The Mummy's Tomb, The Mummy's Ghost, The Mummy's Curse, and the comedy Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy, all focused on the titular character, Karis. Although some recycled scenes where Karloff had had been playing the mummy, are clearly seen. Also, I want to bring up whoa, something whoa, really quick. Whoa. His just, hands up. What do you got? Just because bringing up Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. So that movie released in the fifties, right? Okay. I watched this new movie on Netflix, which it ended up not being a terrible movie, uh, but it's called Ghost of War. Um, the, the, mm. the basic premise has like the uh, like soldiers towards the end of World War II protecting this uh, house that kind of ended up being a base. Okay. Uh, and, you know, from you know, the Nazis. And the house ends up being haunted. This whole fucking, like, weird thing happens, blah, blah, blah. But the only reason I'm bringing this up is because, that you know, World War II, the 40s. Yeah. There's a character who talks about why he's kind of, like, a weird, darker person. In the and Ghost of War. In Ghost of War. And it fucking pissed me off. And immediately I went, wait, no, fuck, I can't finish this. Why well, I ended up did finishing it, <laughs> but I was pissed. <laughs> Because here's the thing. Okay. Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Yeah. The 50s. Sure. 
World War II in the 40s. Yeah. It's fucking, this character was talking about how he watched this movie and another movie, like, or, uh, I Was a Teenage Werewolf, which also was in the 50s. I'm like, God damn it. If you're oh, writing- fucked up that bad? If you're writing a script, check the fucking release dates of movies if you're going to reference them. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, wow. Like, it, it immediately pissed me off, and I just remembered it, and now I'm pissed off again. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus Christ. The rest of this podcast is going to be horrible. <laughs> it's just going to be- What much- a simple thing to just not happen. Right. I'm like, all you have to do is just type in, oh, what- Creepy movies come came out before World War II. Oh, Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy. Well, that director should be fired. Right. Um. So how is like Ghost of War? Like, is it a one point three on IMDb or what do we got? If I had to rate it, I would say about a four. Ah, okay. okay. I mean, like they had good ideas, it just didn't capitalize well. Ghost of twenty twenty. Yep. Like brand new. Yep. 5.4 on IMDb, 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like I said, like it's mm. not awful, but it that irritated me and it immediately took me out of it. It's those kind of like I might sound like an asshole, but it's those kind of details that can ruin a movie for me. Well, yeah, that oh, I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but it almost undermines the whole just I don't want to say fantasy, but I mean almost watching a movie and trying to be immersed and thinking you're in the world with it is kind of a fantasy. Yeah. Trying to become engulfed by it to feel what they're feeling and seeing what they portrayed. But yeah, something as simple as that to ruin it. No, I'm totally with it, dude. Yeah. It's kind of like one of the, I forget what movie it is, but it's like you're in some sort of simulation, some other kind of reality and like one little thing is wrong and then you realize it and like everything around you just kind of like dissipates. It all dissipates and you're like snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of like that. No, that would do it for me right there. Yep. I'd probably be on the edge of my seat, really enjoying this movie, and then they make some dumbass statement like that, some some error, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm just like leaning back, like, well, this movie just fucking lost it. Because like I immediately was just like, wait, pulled out my phone, typed in the movie, looked at the release date, went, well, that's wrong. You know, ended it, typed in the other movie, looked at the release date, I went, what the fuck? <laughs> I would email him. Find the director of that movie and email him. I should. Like, you fucking suck, moron. Anyway, sorry, I went on a little bit of a tangent there. It's okay, I man. Get it out. It made me mad. So. This is a frustration-free podcast. Well, I'm frustrated. You're not hearing me. This is a frustration-free <laughs> podcast. This is a frustration-free zone right here in this six-by-six six space, <laughs> buddy. So if you need to yell, just yell. What? There you go. How do you feel? Better. Good, good. Yeah, see? As we talked about at the beginning, many view the mummy as the weakest of all of the universal classic monsters, though it still holds ground as a great performance by Karloff, and if you're a fan of other universal monster films, it's worth at least a single viewing just for its legacy. Question for you. Why sure. do you think most people think of it as the weakest of the universal films? So I actually thought about this, and I think a lot of people look at it because if you... And, I mean, we kind of talk about it with Edward Van Sloan's character. If you compare the premise and the story of The Mummy to Dracula, it's almost the same film. Yeah. Well, yeah. A lot of them are. It's always just something about romanticism. Yeah. Good Lord. I mean, you know, you have this guy who's trying to, like, I mean, you have uh, Ardith Bay, Karloff. I mean, that was, like, his little nickname that he gave himself to kind of act as a human or uh, not Emotep, but you know, he's pretty much trying to hypnotize Zeta's character, Helen, just like Bela Lugosi does in Dracula. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, obviously we have characters like Edward Van Sloan that are essentially the same kind of characters. And it just, I feel like that's one of the reasons why people look at it just because in comparison, it, the Mummy is essentially almost a remake of Dracula. Yeah, I mean, I feel like just about every one. I mean, even isn't Creature from the Black Lagoon kind of romantic as well? Kind of. I mean, Frankenstein's not really romantic. I yeah. guess that's why they made Bride of Frankenstein, because they're like, oh, shit, man, he needs to love somebody. What about the Wolfman? Is that romantic? I mean, there's romance in it. See? See, that's what's sold. But you don't have them trying to hypnotize. No. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know why it'd be the weakest. My mind first went to maybe the mummy is just not that notable 
as notable like horror icons. Yeah. I mean, clearly people go to Dracula first and Frankenstein oh, yeah. and the Wolfman. And, and I will say, just like many of the Universal Monster movies does, this movie has a very abrupt ending. <laughs> oh, what was the ending? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Very just all of a sudden like boom, 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 then bam. All right. Well, there's the credits. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still... I, I want to say I still enjoy the ending more than Frankenstein. Okay. All right. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, Frankenstein's ending is very uh, jarring. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it takes a wild turn. It does. But once you see the Bride of Frankenstein, it kind of uh, opens up a little bit. Now, do you think I should ever watch the Bride of Frankenstein as its own movie? Or should I almost put that and Frankenstein in? Like both movies into one. Watch it as its own movie. Okay. Okay. Just to kind of keep it separate. But I mean, obviously, there are still ties. I got obviously. You. Okay. But yeah. All in all, like I said, this, um, why well, I said to you before we hit record that this is going to be a short, shorter episode just because the mummy, there wasn't a whole lot of information. We're done. Yep. Oh. <laughs> I, I tried digging as much as I could for the mummy, but yeah. there's, just, there's not a ton of information on it. Digging, like excavating, like discovering, like tombs and mummies and King Toot Toot. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you're right. There wasn't much at all to go with no. this. Huh. Which is unfortunate, but I mean, you're also talking about a movie that released in 1933. Oh, I mean, the movies before that had more to them. Dracula and Frankenstein and Phantom. Yeah, but I mean, you know, those are more iconic. So you had film historians diving deep into the making of those and all that. Could be. Um, I don't know. All of those had some sort of book or play or some kind of adaptation before it to yeah, help and, people know what the hell was going on. The mummy, I mean, there was no book for the mummy, right? Nope. Except scrolls in ancient Egypt. Like I said, like <laughs> hieroglyphics. They, they tried to come up with a movie. Or a book to base the movie off of, but they couldn't really find one. That's, yeah. That's why Cagliostro kind of helped inspire this. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 you're right. Um. Yeah, wow, okay, that was kind of short-lived. Yeah, unfortunately, but hey, you know, some of these movies there's not a lot to talk about, but like I said, we're doing the Universal Monster movie, so it was important to talk about, and if you guys are like, you know, I suggest marathoning the Universal Monsters, honestly. Well, you could easily do it one day. Oh, God, eight, yeah. Eight movies, correct? So yep. maybe 10 hours, uh, eh. 11 hours? Yeah. I would say maybe do it in two days. Oh, uh, don't be pussies. Well, come okay, on. All right. Come on, man. I don't know. Could you marathon them all in one Fuck day? Fuck no. Every one <laughs> of them puts me to sleep almost. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why exactly. Because usually, no matter what, I mean, it could be any movie Cassandra wants to watch too, but I'm usually up for it because I'm interested to know what the movie is about, regardless of what it is. I don't care if it's a rom-com or what. But yeah, I find myself, my eyes just get really heavy every time I'm watching maybe it. Maybe it's the black and white. I was almost thinking maybe it is because that's kind of easy on the eyes. Yeah, it's, it's maybe. Not, I'm not trying to focus on every color known to man. You know, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe in the entire series, I'll just be dead, basically, like the mummy just tired as fuck the whole way through. I don't know. Maybe. I hope not. I hope not. But, hey, it's okay, because our next film's in color. Really? Well, yeah, because we're taking... The Wolfman? No, we're taking a little bit of a break from the universe. Oh, my God, Scribblings. That's right. That's right. See? (laughs) God damn. Look what these movies do to me. I can't take it. (sighs) That was on last night, by the way. Was it? Gremlins, yeah. I was like, look, babe. And I turned it on. And she goes, no. I'm like, okay, well, I guess we'll just turn it off then. <laughs> so I didn't get to watch it. Wow. Yeah, it was the scene right before they eat after midnight. Oh. Like you had the professor eating like a fucking sandwich. Yeah. And then you had, um, I forget the like the guy that has Gizmo. He's like giving the ones like chicken. Yeah. So right before midnight and whatnot. And I'm just like, oh, 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 God, here it goes. Here it goes. Three rules. Three simple rules. Yep. And no, not those show. Th- Eight simple rules for dating my daughter. Just three simple rules to not fuck with my gremlin. But yeah, so... Mogwai, sorry. As um, we mentioned before, we will be taking a slight break next week for the holidays. Well, I shouldn't say we're taking a break, but we're taking a break from the Universal Monsters. We'll be talking about other monsters. Die Hard. Yes. Bruce Willis. Rambo. Rambo also <laughs> takes place during Christmas, so fuck off. It's a Christmas movie. Okay, no. We are... Pfft, gremlins. The cute little mogwai. Well, Gizmo's only 
he's the only one that I really think is cute. Yeah. The other ones are just kind of odd to me. That's fair. Is it because no. they pop out of them? Maybe. No, I don't really <laughs> give a fuck for that. But yeah, Gremlins. Yep, we will, will be, be doing our... a holiday special. Yeah. For you guys. I bet no one thought it'd be Gremlins. <laughs> nope. I bet they thought it would be something else. Maybe like Miracle on 34th Street, Christmas with the Cranks. I don't know. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's what I thought it would be. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, we wanted to do kind of a little holiday special with a holiday-themed film, and I felt Gremlins would be a fun one to do. Yeah. Because I love Gremlins. It's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. I, I do think I like Gremlins, a new batch, more. Oh, yeah. But that, that one, that movie, just because it's off the walls, just ridiculous. <laughs> it is. But the first one is fun. But yeah, um, I'm sure we'll say it again for that episode, but we will be... Taking a break for the week between, well, New Year's week. Yep. That week will be all to us, spend time with friends and family and, and such. So Safely. Of course, safely. So, yeah, don't expect too much to come out of this, or even TFR, for that matter, as well. Yeah. Um, but after that, we will begin our trek in the last four Universal Monster movies. So we will have The Invisible Man. Oh, my God. I keep Bride forgetting about The Invisible Man. Yep. The Invisible Man. Is it because you can't see him? <laughs> the who what yeah did you see my invisible man tattoo dude that would be dope (laughs) i am actually gonna get one i have one planned black black light oh you like that i do but so we'll be doing uh after you know our break at the the new year so that'll be what january yeah so the first episode of the brand new year of 2021 will be the invisible man yep and then we'll be going into The Bride of Frankenstein Woo. and The Wolfman. And Woo. then finally ending off with Creatures in the Black Lagoon. I'm so excited for. Yeah. You excited for that one the most, you think? I'm excited for The Invisible Man and Creature just because yeah. those are like two of my favorites. So. Well, all right. I guess we should get off of this episode and get on with the next one. Start cranking yeah. them motherfuckers out, getting the work done. You oh, know. yeah. I'm excited. We had mm-hmm. a lot of fun things planned. But like I said, um, you know, check us out on social media. Or like Matt said, sorry, I'm not trying to take credit for you. No, you're fine. I'm going gonna, gonna to say it again. The, uh, the Dissector Scott on Facebook, uh, TDC Pod Official on Twitter, the Dissector Scott on TikTok and Instagram as well. You know, yep. we'll just be posting a bunch of fun stuff. You can see what's coming up next and you can see uh, behind the scenes pictures that Josh will most likely take care of. Oh, and oh not yeah. Me. But yeah. Um, you know, with TikTok, I'll have a bunch of different kind of movie recommendations on there. Maybe random facts. Um, Fleshlights, you know, all that good shit. I thought about, I could also post pictures of some of like the signed horror memorabilia that I've gotten over the years from oh, cons yeah, why not? and shit like that. Stuff like that, yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, hit us up, check us out. Stay scary, stay safe. I'm Josh. And I'm Matthew. We are the Dissector's Cut, signing off. Bye. <laughs>